0: Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and I'm happy that you're joining us on this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, It's been a great encouragement this past weekend to experience our Good Friday service and now our uh, worship service on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I thank you for joining us. Uh, We've been praying for you all week that God would use the truths of His Word and and the uh, meditations of our heart during this past important week. Uh, to encourage your spiritual life, to help you grow in Christ, uh, this has been our prayer. We continue to pray that God would now direct us as we enter into his word and, and unpack uh, his uh, revelation to us that we might know him better, be encouraged to live uh, more faithfully with him. This Sunday, of course, is Resurrection Sunday. It is a, a big deal. It, we always make a big deal of it every Easter. Every church makes a big deal of Easter Sunday. We go to great lengths to make Easter Sunday a special Sunday. We invite our friends, we invite our neighbors, we decorate the church, we clean the windows, we, you know, do have a work day, all because we want this day to be a special day. We celebrate it every single year in this way. it's um, since the very beginning, since the very first Easter, that very first Sunday that the Lord came out of the tomb. This has been the case in the church. We've always made a big deal of Easter. Um, The Apostle Paul thought it was fairly important as does every believer. But listen to why the Apostle Paul thinks that the resurrection is so critical. He says this in 1st Corinthians 15 17 if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. I would say that's a pretty important reason for the resurrection. But why did Jesus need to rise from the tomb? Why did he need to come back to life three days after he had been crucified? Of course, the Bible tells us that in order to have our sins forgiven, it had to happen. In order for there to be a place reserved for us in heaven, Jesus had to come out of the grave 2,000 years ago. He had to die and then rise from the dead if he failed to do so our faith would be in vain futile useless why though why does so much hinge on the resurrection didn't Jesus death pay for our sins why did he need to come back to life if his death paid for our sins well the resurrection more than any other of the miracles that Jesus did including turning water into wine, including walking on water, including making food from nothing, including raising other people from the dead, His own resurrection, more than any of the other miracles Jesus did, establishes the fact that He is God. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He, that is Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus declared to be the Son of God, was declared to be deity by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was his greatest miracle and was one that finally convinced his disciples. You remember what Thomas said when he saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ, my Lord and my God. It convinced him and everyone else that saw him. The resurrection is important because Jesus's death for sin is only effective if he came back to life none of the Old Testament sacrifices came back to life and couldn't take away sin they could only be a temporary covering Jesus would only come back to life if God accepted his sacrifice and the only way God would accept Jesus's death as a sacrificial death was if he was a perfect sacrifice sinless sacrifice so Jesus had to be human he had to be sinless he had to be perfect for his death to be effective for us there could be no imperfection in the sacrifice as we learned from studying the Old Testament sacrificial system if there was any imperfection the sacrifice would be unacceptable to God as payment for sin and the only way that Je- for Jesus to be a, uh, a perfect sacrifice was that he be perfect his entire life, and the only way to be perfect your entire life is to be God. Hence, he had to be man; he had to be God. God brought Jesus back to life because his sacrificial death was acceptable. He indeed was perfect. Had Jesus remained in the grave, it would have meant that his sacrifice for our sin was stained, was ineffective, was unacceptable. But he did come back to life. He did rise again. So if Jesus' resurrection is true, you must become a Christian and make much of Jesus for the rest of your life. If the resurrection is not true, then you must reject Christianity and make much of yourself for the rest of your life. That is the only logical thing to do. This is Easter Sunday, and that's why this Sunday, above all the others, is a big deal to Christians. We celebrate the risen Lord. But in addition to this, we have another important reason why Jesus was raised from the dead, and we see this reason in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to open it to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read for you verses 5 through 11. I'm going to focus on verses 9 through 11, but I'm going to start in verse 5. Follow along with me, if you would, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says this, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." focus on this morning is those last three verses, verses 9, 10, and 11. Um, And in these verses, I think we're going to see another important reason why Jesus came back to life three days after he was crucified. I want to show you here from these three verses the exaltation of Christ. Uh, These verses here uh, demonstrate, uh, show us The exaltation beginning with his resurrection there are five things I want to show you from these verses and the first is this the reasons for Jesus's exaltation why did the Father exalt Christ to such a high position to be worshiped and praised well I want you to look at verse 9 what does it say the very first word therefore therefore in verse 9 points back to what was just said in verses 6 through 8 which gives us the reason for his exaltation. And what did verses 6 through 8 discuss? First of all, Jesus' humility. We see this clearly in verses 6 through 8. God humbled himself. He became a man. That's what we read in, in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. God became flesh. He became one of us. In verses 5 through 8 record that condescension that humility he completely obeyed the will of his father all the way to death even on a cross Paul says so at Christmas time we celebrate God becoming man at Easter time we celebrate God rising again from the dead after paying the penalty for our sin So the God of heaven left heaven and became one of us so that he could mercifully and faithfully take upon us, take upon him our sin and satisfy God's justice by dying in our place. So the first reason that that God the Father exalted the Son Jesus was because of Jesus' humility as seen in verses 6-8. through Secondly, God exalted Jesus here because of God's value system. God values humility. Humility is the mindset of heaven. In James chapter 4 verse 6, God says this. Or James said this about God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's the kind of God we have. He values humility. The reason that Paul exhorts the Philippian believers to be humble and others oriented in verses 2 through 4 of Philippians chapter 2 is because God is humble and others oriented. God values humility. God values humility because that is the key element of his own nature. God humbled himself and became a man because he is a humble God. That sounds strange to think about, doesn't it? Putting those words together, a humble God. Certainly not what we think about normally. But since God values humility, it is no surprise that he honors the ultimate demonstration of that humility in Jesus Christ. In James chapter 4 verse 10, James said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is what God does. He values humility and he humbles those, or he honors those who humble themselves. This is why God the Father exalted Jesus in the resurrection and beyond. Because Jesus demonstrated the utmost humility. These verses also tell us the source of Jesus' exaltation. So first, the reasons for his exaltation were humility and the value system of God. And secondly, I want you to see the source of Jesus' exaltation. Look back at verse 9 again. Just read the second, the first two verses, the second verse focus. Therefore God, (laughs) who exalted Jesus? God did. God the Father vindicated Jesus not only to confirm his acceptance of the perfect sacrifice... But also to demonstrate to us that Jesus's humble mindset is in fact the mindset of heaven God was the source of Jesus's exaltation I want you to also see in these verses verses 9 through 11 and to see that Jesus is in control of the whole process from the time he left heaven lived his life died on the cross rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven Jesus was in control of the whole process from beginning to end Jesus controlled every molecule of his earthly existence it says in Matthew 28 and Jesus came and said to them all Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Jesus said elsewhere that no man will take my life from me I lay it down of my own free will Jesus was in complete control of every situation while he lived on this planet You see, the Godhead made a plan in eternity past. He accomplished that plan in human history from his birth to his ascension and now completes the plan as the rightful, exalted Lord of the universe. Therefore, God exalted Jesus. The source is God. Thirdly, we read of this name that was given to Jesus. Look at your Bibles again. It says in verse 9, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There's been a little discussion about what this name um, was given, what what name was given rather, um, that caused so much exaltation in in, uh, Christ Although some argue for the name Jesus that we read of there in verse 10, I don't think that the name Jesus is the exalted name because Jesus is the name of his humiliation. I think when you look at a little further, you'll find another name granted Jesus, and that is the name Lord. Do you see that? I think it's much more likely that that's the name in view because that's the name used of Yahweh in the Old Testament, and here it's applied to Jesus. Think of how profound that is. Let me trace this for you. And by the way, this is all over Scripture, but let me trace it for you just by looking into Isaiah. Beginning in Isaiah 42.8, God said this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And then in Isaiah 45.23, By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me every knee will bow every tongue will confess and swear allegiance do these words sound familiar (laughs) they should because Paul was quoting them in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 Paul was quoting Isaiah The significance of Paul's quoting Isaiah is important because the verse in Isaiah emphatically states that Yahweh will not give or share his glory with another. And yet, in Philippians 2, Jesus is given the name of Yahweh and is exalted and praised, glorified. What this means is that through Paul, God is affirming the deity of Jesus Christ, The implications for who Jesus really is are staggering. It is at the name that belongs to Jesus that every knee will bow. And what is that name? It is the name Lord or Yahweh that is above every name. Every knee will bow in recognition of who Jesus is because Jesus is God. Jehovah. Now the Greek word for Lord that Paul uses here... In verse 11 and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the Greek word there is kurios this was a word used by Roman citizens to acknowledge the divinity of Caesar it was a divine title of course for political solidarity Roman citizens were tested about their loyalty to Caesar by having to repeat the phrase Caesar is Lord and when Christians refused to say those words they were singled out for punishment even execution So we have the word Lord used here. It's an important word that Paul chooses. We see a similar idea in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word Adonai is a name of God. It was used by Jews who would not pronounce the word Jehovah because it was too sacred to pronounce in their view. So they would substitute Jehovah with the word Adonai. In Jewish literature, the title Adonai became almost synonymous with Jehovah. The word Adonai and Jehovah are translated into our English Bibles as, you guessed it, Lord. So when early Christians confessed that Jesus is Lord, they were actually confessing that Jesus is God. The word Adonai, by the way, doesn't just mean Lord. It takes on a a personal quality. It means my Lord this is the word that Mary used of Jesus in the garden on Easter morning it was the confession of Thomas doubting Thomas one week later when he said my Lord and my God the point is that our confession of Jesus as Lord must be personal it must go beyond a mental assent of Jesus Christ being God to him being my God my Lord There are many different opinions about Jesus, but it's essential that we understand his true identity. If there's anything you must understand on Easter Sunday, it's the identity of Jesus Christ. He is Lord, the God of the universe, the Lord of my life. What you believe about Jesus has eternal ramifications. Our eternal residence, our eternal joy are dependent on our right understanding of the true identity of Jesus Christ. Who do you think that Jesus is? This is the question that Jesus himself asked of his disciples. Who do you say that I am? If Jesus Christ is Lord, if in fact Jesus Christ is God of all, then it means he is sovereign as well. In the same way that God rules the universe, Jesus rules the universe. In every way that we conceive of God as God, we must conceive of Jesus as God. Creator, sustainer, enabler, controller, sovereign. This is what we discover as we read through the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 particularly says that Jesus sustains the universe by the power of his word. It says in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 that he created everything that is, both visible and invisible. In John chapter one, we read that the same thing. This one who was in heaven became man, and that one, Jesus, second person of the Godhead, was responsible for all of creation. The creator of life, the author of life. Friends, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is the doctrine of the sovereignty of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 where we've been spending a few weeks here lately at Sun Valley proves that the sovereignty of God is not impersonal. Many times people interpret the doctrine of God's sovereignty as cold or harsh or impersonal or even fatalistic, but nothing can be further from the truth. God is not aloof to our pain. Or unconcerned about our circumstances he is not far off engaged in more important things no friend God's sovereign control and oversight of all things is exceptionally personal God left heaven and inserted himself into human history to save real people who are hurting with real problems who are discouraged with life and beat up by sin And not only save them, but befriend them. Guide them, support them, encourage them, love them, transform them. This is what the sovereign God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, this is what he does, this is who he is. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, demonstrate this better than any other passage of Scripture, that the sovereign God is a personal God. He came To earth to be one of us to save us personally the Lord Jesus has always been interested in your well-being you may be tempted to think especially when your circumstances are going sideways that he really doesn't care he really doesn't have a plan or this kind of stuff wouldn't be happening to me I would encourage you if that's how you're thinking to read Philippians 2 5 through 11 just one more time he's a personal God In the middle of our coronavirus pandemic, this is one of the most comforting and reassuring things to know. Jesus is personally in charge. What do you think of that? Jesus is personally in charge. This didn't surprise him. He's not up there wondering what he should do next. No. Although the virus has clearly established the fact that we are not in control of our circumstances, it has always been this way, friend. We've never been in control of our circumstances. We've just fooled ourselves into thinking that we are. We think that if we work hard enough, plan carefully enough, we can manage our lives exactly how we want. Not so. God is the only one with that ability. Jesus was given the name Lord, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Sovereign, a name that is above every name. The fourth thing that I want you to see from this text is the response to Jesus' exaltation. How do beings, people included, respond to this Lord of the universe? Well, look at your Bible, verse 10 So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then, Verse 11, every tongue confess that Jesus is in fact Lord. So we have bowing knees and confessing tongues. Just what you would expect of those who encounter the sovereign God of the universe. Everything intelligent will make the confession that Jesus is Lord. Beginning in heaven. Paul, I think here, is speaking of the angelic ones we read in Revelation that angels will join human voices in singing praises to God, the Lord of the universe. How wonderful will that be? I'm sure there's going to be some good voices in that chorus. Then the confession also will be made by those who are on earth. So if the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Of course, that's referring to humans living on this planet. All those who have believed in the name have also made this confession. Jesus is Lord Jesus is my Lord and then that same confession will be made by humans and spirit beings that reside under the earth Paul says this group is made up of fallen angels and unregenerate humans who reside in Hades most commentators believe that this is a forced confession in verse 11 I don't know if there will be too much pressure put on this group to confess the Lord Jesus Christ because of how glorious and how awesome Jesus will appear to be on that day do you remember Isaiah's response to the presence of Christ in Isaiah chapter 6 it was the same response that John had in Revelation they both fell flat on their faces because they were in the presence of the Holy One the Lord of the universe The word confess in verse 11 actually means to acknowledge or to agree. In the presence of God, I don't think it's going to be too difficult to acknowledge his lordship. I don't think it will be like some kind of arm twisting until a confession comes out of their mouth. It's like, say uncle, say uncle. I don't think that's happening at all. I I think that in the presence of the eternal author of life, creator of the universe, lord of all salvation, lord of all sovereign everything... An acknowledgment of his deity will flow freely from trembling lips. Every being will make the confession. Every being. That Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow in his presence. I want to urge you, Christian and non-Christian, I want to urge you to make that confession now. To bow that knee now. Now. How do you make that confession now? How do you bow the knee now? It's actually very simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is simply an acknowledgment of what these verses are saying in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. He came as the God of heaven to become one of us as a man, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, and to rise again from the dead as confirmation of God's acceptance of his sacrificial death. Do you accept that? Have you embraced Jesus as your Lord? I pray that you will while you breathe. Here are some reasons why we should make the confession of verse 11. Number one, because Jesus is Lord, (laughs) it's true. Secondly, we should confess Jesus as Lord because it glorifies him, it brings glory to God. And according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is the purpose of life, to bring glory to God. Thirdly, we should confess Jesus as Lord because of the promises and consequences attached to that confession. Eternal life to those who make that confession in life and condemnation to those who make that confession after death. I pray that you're in the first group, that you'll be those who will make a joyful confession of the Lordship of Christ in your life today. Christian friend, if you have done this, if you have acknowledged your need for Christ, acknowledged your your sin to your Savior and embraced Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to make a side point of what it means to confess Jesus as Lord. It's not just a mental assent in which you give a nod to Jesus at some point in your past, like, say, at summer camp. No, it's a commitment to live for Christ and make much of Him on a daily basis. That's what it means to make Jesus Lord, to declare Him Lord. It means that you'll prioritize the Lord's agenda, it means that you'll look out for the well being of the Lord's followers. It means that you'll count those followers as more significant than yourself. You'll embrace the mindset, the mindset of heaven, the mindset of heaven's king, which is outlined here in verses 2 through 4 in Philippians 2. Let's conclude now with looking at the result of Jesus' exaltation. What is the result of all of this? Well, look at the last phrase in verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. The glory of the Son results in the glory of the Father it's a shared glory in John chapter 17 in Jesus's high priestly prayer he prayed this it said when Jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you there's that reciprocal glorification I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Isn't that beautiful? A reciprocal glorification, acknowledging the work of Christ in the salvation of his people. What a beautiful and harmonious divine relationship on display here in John 17. I think this humbles us and directs our thinking So the question that must come out of every Easter Sunday sermon, the question that must be on your heart as you've listened to the exposition of Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 is this. What are you going to do with Jesus? Have you bowed the knee? Have you confessed his lordship? Or or do you think of him differently? if you're a Christian confessing Jesus as Lord simply means to humbly daily obey him follow his lead have him be your Lord it means applying the directions of verses 2 through 4 and imitating Jesus's humble servant or humble service to those in your life if you have not yet bowed the knee if you don't yet know Jesus and embraced him friends your your response must be different. You, you must confess him as Lord. You must repent of your self-directed life. You must confess your rebellion against Jesus' rightful rule over your life. You know, he has a right to everything about you. Your family, your vocation, your leisure, your thoughts, everything. Have you submitted yourself to that? He is Lord. Friends, if... If you would want to do that, if you'd like to do that, you can do it right now, right where you sit. You can just tell Jesus, he's listening, he can hear you, that you're sorry for living independently of him your whole life, and that you want to now follow him, that you'll need his help in doing so, but you want to submit yourself to him and believe that he came to live and die for you. You can do that right where you sit. I I hope that you'll... Be encouraged to acknowledge Jesus as Lord there's nothing else we can do except commit our entire lives to him make much of Jesus from this day forward that's what this passage is about have you made much of Christ pray with me Lord Jesus God of heaven sovereign of all creation we humbly bow together now before you we exalt your name Lord of heaven God of the universe my Lord my God father I pray in your mercy that you would draw people to yourself even now people who have been listening might see their need for Christ Might see clearly now like never before the way their life has been really a life of rebellion I pray that you'll reveal to them their need to come to Christ and bow the knee and confess with the tongue that he is in fact Lord have mercy on us father have mercy on our friends and neighbors who who need you I pray that those of us who know you will follow you closely and faithfully that we will serve others like Jesus served us Father, be glorified in our lives. Jesus, be glorified in your church. Be glorified at Sun Valley Church. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.